I grew up in Compton and Compton had, at the time I was growing up, was gang infested. You know, if you could just look back, if you're into rap music and if you're not, just look it up, you know, like NWA, um, you know, the whole Easy e movement. So that was the era that I grew up in with, you know, F the police. So mm-hmm. police brutality that you see today, it was going on then. It's just we didn't have smartphones and could put it on the Internet uh, instantaneously. Right. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to King of the Ride podcast. I am Ted King. I'm your host. And let the good times roll. In this age of competitive gravel cycling, I think we can agree that perhaps the tide is turning towards not just competitivity, but but hyper-competitivity in gravel. Heck, maybe the tide has already shifted. The ship may have already sailed. And we're in an age of competitive gravel because... That's just what human nature suggests we do. Now, I'm not going to stew on this topic, but I think it's one that we're going to keep touching upon as this podcast evolves. So follow along with me here. King of the Ride will continue to dabble in all sorts of cycling, especially and including my roots in road racing, just as our guest today has his roots in road racing too. Rasan Bahadi. 10-time national champion on various road and track bikes. This conversation is a stunner. I am psyched to bring it to you. However, back to my point. So in this age of competitive gravel, I am wary of the formal releasing, the formal unveiling of my gravel race calendar. For one, my events aren't all races. That's a point that I want to continue to stress. Every gravel event that I do, and hopefully the ones that you do, are meant to be fun, full Stop. Sure, some are going to involve slapping a number on, some are going to be ridden hard, some are going to be ridden easy, but it's the community, folks. From the very beginning, from my first grasshopper in 2007, from Rebecca Rush goading me into Grode at Dirty Kansas 2016, it has been about the community. There are also elements of of the simplicity and the purity of gravel that make it so great. Those are the things that I need to keep reminding myself now and again as gravel has evolved into this, I don't know, I mean, I don't want to call it career, but gravel is a huge part of what I do. So this is the very long-winded way of saying, if you want to see the calendar, because many of you have asked, you can find it at imtedking.com slash schedule. Check it out. Keep it fun, though, because that is the point. This podcast is not about me. It is about our guests, and it's about the stories that they tell. Rasan Bahadi, a contemporary of mine, but someone who I actually haven't chatted with, haven't hung out with all that much. Despite being about the same age, coming up through the traditional USAC domestic elite ranks around the same time, we just really haven't crossed paths all that much. The year was 2004 when we first met toe-to-toe, a collegiate national championship. His toe ended up well ahead of mine. He ended up on the podium. I ended up somewhere a little bit further back. I've tried to go back and find the results, but I have not had luck. Anyway, as I said before, a 10-time national champion. Better yet, born and raised in Compton, California. Despite the circumstances that would not otherwise predispose someone towards the bicycle... Let me state the obvious, like being born in Compton. Rasan found the bicycle, and he has made it the focal point of his entire life. He's had an exemplary career by any metric, but I think Rasan will ultimately go down in history by the work that he has done 
without the element of competition, entirely in the element of community. Currently holding the very cool title of Social Impact Manager at Zwift, it is the work that he has done empowering people through the bike that will continue to live on. The Bahati Foundation is something that we're going to talk about in this conversation at length. But to summarize, the foundation's mission of supporting inner-city youth and underserved communities through healthy lifestyle, access to educational opportunities, and cycling outreach programs designed to empower and inspire youth on and off the bike. Better yet, they say we envision a Los Angeles where youth have access in the options to mobility through biking that is safe and convenient. I think that's perfect. Those are things that many of us take for granted. Those are things that many of us struggle with day in and day out, just going out the door. Clearly something for which we all want to fight the same fight. Bike racing is a funny sport because it's so inherently physiologically driven. Training, of course, is mandatory along the line. But every one of the 7 billion people on this planet are born with some sort of internal engine. Are you born a Fiat or are you born a Ferrari? I had the privilege of racing with one of the greatest cyclists of all time in Peter Sagan. I have more stories than you could ever imagine illustrating that he was just born to ride a bike. He's better than the rest of us. Now, what if we could open access to more people riding bikes? What kind of inherent talent is there out there? How many Peter Sagans are there out there right now, potentially in in Compton, in the rest of the world? Moreover, how much of a better world would it be if people, dare I say some sort of utopia, all people knew about the bicycle, the benefits and the woes of riding a bicycle? I say woes meaning if people could be aware of how dangerous it is to ride a bike in traffic, if every person behind the wheel of a car also rode a bike, shoot, we would live in a better place. Bentonville, Arkansas is not Compton. There is a a sliver of the Truman Show when you're strolling through downtown Bentonville. Traffic is patient to cyclists. There are immaculate trails. No, world-class mountain bike trails meticulously maintained, weaving all throughout the town. Yes, this is happening thanks to the Walton family of Walmart fame, but they're making something of the cycling paradise smack in Bentonville, Arkansas, middle America. Now, you may have caught wind that it was in Bentonville that USA Cycling recently held a gravel summit for the biggest gravel events in order to take a pulse on the sport of gravel. Laura and I were both there. We represented Rooted Vermont, and I was there on behalf of cyclists. Look, USAC is not blind to what's going on. Gravel is booming. Road racing is dying. They've missed the boat. They're not naive to that. They went into this meeting eyes wide open. These events can succeed without USA Cycling. So basically, the whole crux of the weekend is their way to make gravel better, cycling better, with or without USA Cycling. Throughout the week, diversity became a hot topic. We knew this going in. It is clearly something that we touch upon in this conversation quite a bit. Ethnic and gender diversity is not common in cycling. Worldwide, this is a middle-aged white guy sport. Expanding diversity is only going to make the sport of cycling better. On-road, off-road, everywhere in between. More people on bikes. Not just middle-aged white dudes, more people. 
from inner city to upcountry, from black to white and every other color in between. We all got a dream to make this world a better place. This intro is long because this conversation ends up being short. The next half hour or so will actually be dedicated to Rasan and his unique path that led him to the bike. We're going to talk about loads of topics in this truncated conversation. You see, Rasan and I were both attending CABDA, a big cycling trade show in San Diego in mid-January. We were kicked out of two locations before we could make this entire conversation happen. As a result, we end up on a time budget we had to keep in order to make it to an event later that evening, the launch of the Saris MP1 training platform with the assistance of Zwift, hence why the two of us were there specifically. So let me now shut my mouth. Without further ado, my friends, my conversation with Rasan Bahadi. Check. 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 Nailed it. Rasan Bahadi. Am I prevent pronouncing that correctly? You did. Congratulations. Thank you. We are officially friends now. Excellent. Middle name? <laughs> Fuaz. Wow. Yeah. Spell that. No one no one has ever asked me that. <laughs> Seriously. For real. Yeah. Uh how do you spell it? F-U-W-A-Z-Z. F-U-W-A-Z-Z. That is an amazing name. <laughs> um, etymology, what's the background there? Uh, it's a Swahili name. Okay. Uh, and it means champion. Wow. Yeah. That is fitting. That's outstanding. Uh, I did a podcast once with Scott Speed. Scott Speed is a car racer. That is a fitting name for someone who's going to be right. a car racer. Champion is a excellent name for a 10-time <laughs> national champion. High expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have, you have children, I believe. Yep, three kids. Three girls. And I, I bring it up because my wife and I are due in March with oh. our first. Congratulations. Life is getting ready to change for you. Life is about to change fairly ginormously. Um, naming is very difficult. My yeah. wife and I are not zeroing in on names. How'd the naming process go for you? For the first one, um, I wanted to name her Michaela. And it was super simple. I was at a race at the Wendy's Classic in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And these two little girls, I thought they were so cute. One of them was yelling across. The street, hey, Michaela. Michaela. I was like... That is such a cute name. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. Babe, first one, Michaela. She's like, no. First one, <laughs> I get the name. So she named her Ayana with a Japanese spelling, and it means um, beautiful flower. So, bam, we have another one. I get the name the second one, right? Uh -huh. Her name's Michaela. Ah, oh, excellent. So there it is. Excellent. There you get it in there. And third name? The third one, we didn't want to find out the sex, uh -huh. so we waited until uh, she was born. Uh-huh. And we thought it was going to be, we thought she was going to have a boy because she just looked different. Her hormones were different. Everything about it. She even had me paint the spare bedroom blue. I was like, no she way. knows. We're yeah. having a boy. Hell yeah. And uh, yeah, no boy. So <laughs> we're at the hospital. And before leaving, you had to give a name for the birth certificate. Yeah, yeah. And Naomi just popped in my head. Uh-huh. And Great Na name. Na Naomi it was. Three daughters. Three daughters. Wow. Laura is one of four girls. We know we're having a daughter. I only know boys. I got a brother. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be an adventure. She's, she's going to love you more than anyone else. I'll tell you that much. Thank you. That's the hope. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's what happens. They love, they love daddy. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Um, Cabda. We're here at Cabda. What's the story? Have you been to Cabda before? First time. First time even really hearing about it. 
Likewise, likewise. Um, my favorite part in doing some due diligence here is I understand it's called the, it's not just the Chicago Area Bicycle Dealer Association, it's Chicago Land mm. Area Bicycle Dealer Association. Doing good things, promoting advocacy, best practices, education, social events for independent bicycle dealers. Kind of funny because we're here in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, what, about? We're in Del Mar. Del Mar. Very, okay. very rich area. Is it? Oh, yeah. Okay, that's funny. I mean, this, this rate, we're at a horse track right now, right? Yeah. They, their opening day here is, is crazy. Oh, no kidding. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. It's like, uh, what's the one out, uh, Churchill Downs, yep. Kentucky? Yeah. It's like Kentucky the Derby. Derby. Yeah. You're Seriously. kidding. Right here, it's huge. Oh. Yeah, Del Mar track is huge. Got it. All of our horse-loving listeners are like, How did you not know that? How did you not know that? <laughs> yeah. So, what, let's bring it, let's jump all over the map. What brings you personally to Cabda? Yeah, personally, I came down on behalf of uh, Zwift. That's my full-time job. Sit on the marketing team there. Um, right now, I'm focusing on getting more kids on bikes uh, using Zwift. Um, so it's all about partnerships. So I came down to meet with stages. They have a pretty nice bike they developed that's, um, sturdy, you know, not like, not that the other smart bikes out there wouldn't work, but we're talking about, you know, the bike being used by 180 kids a day, every day for days on end. So it needs to be this really strong, robust bike. And I think stages, uh, accomplished that. So I wanted to come see it, touch it, ride it, Mm -hmm. meet the guys. And literally the only reason I came down. Very cool. Your, your email salutation is social impact manager at Zwift, which is literally something you've been doing directly and indirectly your entire career. Yep. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you go to the University of Indiana? I did. Good memory. I remember that because the year was, I think, 2003. I want to say collegiate national championships that year were in Madison, Wisconsin. I remember that. And I was sort of a, I, you and I are about the same age. I think you got a year on me. And I was like, oh man, Rasan, I know Rasan's super fast. I have my eyes <laughs> on you. I'm like, all right, it's going to come down to the screen. I'm going to be okay. And, I think you ended up on the podium, and I was nowhere in sight. But uh, in the road race, in the road race, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so the number ten is going to come up in a, in a few different times in this conversation. One, it's already come up that you're a ten-time U.S. national champion. Mm-hmm. Um, you got into cycling. You're born and raised in Compton. Yep, is that correct? University of Indiana, collegiate nationals, 2003, Madison, Wisconsin, and. Also 10 is 10 years old, the Bahati Foundation. Yes. That's good memory, man. Or good, I should say research, some due diligence, definitely. Accurate. Yes, very much so, 10. And that's a big deal. Um, So Lunch the Foundation, the idea came up in like 2008, 2009, and it came to fruition in 2010, Mm -hmm. exactly March. So March of this year will be 10 years. Super cool. Yeah. And, And so jump back even before that. Um. When I think of somebody getting into the sport of cycling, it is often because they have a friend or family member or or often friend or family member is going to introduce it to them. Sure. But then you also need so many things to go right, just circumstantially. You need to be in the right socioeconomic area. You need the right weather. Mm-hmm. You need the right geography. You need the right you know safety so you're not riding around traffic-filled roads. How on earth do you get into cycling in Compton? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a long story, but I'll, I'll chop it up for you. I... Um I grew up in Compton, and Compton had, at the time I was growing up, 
was gang infested. You know, if you could just look back, if you're into rap music, and if you're not, just look it up. You know, like <laughs> NWA. Um, you know, the whole Easy e movement. So that was the era that I grew up in with, you know, F the police. So mm -hmm. police brutality that you see today, it was going on then. It's just we didn't have smartphones and could put it on the Internet uh, instantaneously. Right. No kidding. Um, and so I was surrounded by drugs and gangs and people doing bad things. But I was also surrounded by love. And I was in my household. I had mom and dad at home, which you know, as I got older, I realized how important that was. A lot of the guys I was running with that was, you know, doing not so nice things. It wasn't that they were bad kids, just making really bad decisions. And they didn't have anyone to tell them they were making bad decisions. Um, unlike, unlike me. So both my parents, mom and dad were educators in the company unified school district. Okay. So here I am being an idiot, getting in trouble. And I have parents that work for the school district, yeah. that the same school district that's suspending <laughs> me from school because I'm throwing things and ditching and jumping fences or whatever it may be. So um, there was one day I got in a little bit of trouble in class, threw an eraser at my teacher and thought, thought I got away with murder. Someone snitched on me very yeah. next day. Parents were there. Intervention. Good kid, he said, but too much energy. He's going down the wrong path. Uh, there's a program at Cal State Dominguez Hills. He can learn how to ride bikes mm -hmm. or he can play golf. <laughs> And in my head, I was like, golf? Uh, I don't know. No one who plays golf. Definitely uh -huh. don't want to do that. Uh -huh. But when he said bikes and I put Cal State Dominguez in my head, I remember Cal State Dominguez was just full of agriculture. It was no buildings, really. The, the campus was there, but all the stuff that you see there today with the Velodrome and where the Galaxy play, all that stuff was just dirt. So I was in my head, I was like, dirt bikes, motorcycles. I'm yeah. going to be... Yeah, I'll ride, I'll ride bikes. Right on. Right. And what, what, what age are we in? So this is sixth grade. So okay. uh, like 11, 12 years old. Yep. And needless to say, to get to the end of the story, we go to the velodrome. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't motorcycles. And I was highly disappointed. I was very upset. My dad saw the fear in my eye and, the, and pretty much forced me to do it. It was a form of punishment more than anything. Yeah. And I just told the story earlier today inside. It wasn't really about the bike. I hated it, but I started going back because it was uh, it was friendship I was starting to build with other cyclists there. It was yeah. it was fun. It was other people that didn't look like me. There was also kids who did look like me, and from every walk of life, and that was more fun to me than the bike. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I actually did like a practice race at thirteen, and I beat an eighteen year old, where yeah. the coach was like, "Wait a second, how old are you again?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of where the career was started. I went to. Uh, Junior Track Nationals as my first bike race in Kenosha, Wisconsin. No kidding. And won some medals and never looked back. I was hooked. That I was hooked awesome. because of the medals. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. Know, and that was it. So all those first bikes um, were were ridden on the track? Were you were you riding around Compton? Were you riding around? No road Kevin? bike. Okay. Uh, I didn't get a road bike until I was maybe 15. And it was so funny. My I think my dad got the road bike from like a pawn shop. Uh-huh. And it wasn't really a road bike. Yeah. It was a road-looking bike, but it had like <laughs> it had the brake here, but it also had like the the other brake that sure. you could, yeah, yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know what you call those brakes, right? Uh, and it had the shifting was on the stem, yeah, you know, uh, it was way too big. It was maybe like a sixty centimeter frame, uh -huh. uh, and it wasn't until I met a guy named Travis. Uh, from a local club called Major Motion to where, like, my eyes opened to road cycling. He literally took me under his wing. My parents didn't know anything. Yeah. All I knew was a velodrome. Yeah. And he would pick me up every Saturday morning, take me to group rides, and people start, you know, endorsing me a little bit and 
giving me better equipment. Next thing you know, I have a nice bike with STI shifting and nice. clip-in shoes. And now I'm, I'm like a real rider. Yeah. And yeah, I just never looked back from there. And th- that year I won my first national title. No kidding. Yeah. 13 years old. Uh, by this age now, I'm 15. Okay. Yeah. 15, San Diego track nationals. There is something very special at that young age with the, call it curved handlebars. I mean, the yeah. handlebars on a road bike, you know, yeah. like... You're sort of accustomed to a flat bar bike, or or you know, a BMX bike is like what a kid is. It was definitely foreign, on. you yeah. know. You didn't really know what to do, but I did have the correlation from the track. Sure, those those are uh, drop bars, mm-hmm. but all the gears. I didn't I didn't know anything about any of that stuff. Track when you're on a track at that young age, you know, from the eraser incident, are you immediately on a fixie bike? Dang, yeah. that's going to teach you some skills. And, yeah, and back then it was really cool. They they took the time to teach you about the bike, how to even carry your bike, mm-hmm. you know, like not carrying it on your shoulder on the drive side, mm-hmm. um, how to walk with the bike so you can hold the seat and have your hand, your other hand do something else. They also taught you how to crash in the grass. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like, here's a bike, get on the velodrome. Yeah. It was really, uh, they taught you the fundamentals, which I think is missing these days. Sure, big time. Um we're gonna jump around a bit. I've done the Simi ride. You are that's your backyard. I mean, yeah. you're riding the Simi ride, and and it's a lost art teaching people how to ride in a group. Sure, you know, like banging up the wrong side of the road, riding more than two abreast, riding, I and mean, just making really bad decisions. And and one thing I remember about being on that ride with you is your uh, you you have a you do a good job explaining things the right way to the to riders to up-and-coming riders to to you know it's easy to just sort of shut your mouth and ride off the front yeah. and say ignore that guy yeah so like you have you have created mentorship among a huge group of riders here in la um which we're going to get to in a minute let's keep going along the same track how do you end <laughs> up at university of indiana uh it was the second time that I was going to receive a partial scholarship to go to school. The first time was at LMU down in Marina del Rey. Uh-huh. It's like, ah, I don't want to go to school. I want to race my bike. Yeah. And my dad was like, fool, you crazy. You going to school. And I go, no, dad, I really just want to race. And he basically gave me a year. He's like, all right, well, put some goals down. You reach those, you reach those goals, uh-huh. you can race your bike. Yeah. And they were pretty simple. I wanted to win the road nationals, the crit nationals win a title on the track that year and make the junior worlds team for road and track. And I accomplished everything. Okay. No Actually I had win the world championships because they were on a course that I thought I could win in Plouay, France. Yeah. Um, I made the, the split there, but crashed on the hill and broke my seat. So I lost my chances and I was so pissed because the guy who won, uh, Jeremy Yates from New Zealand, yeah. I was much better than him. Yatesy. Yeah. So, um, I accomplished, I accomplished almost everything on that, on that list. And it's, yeah. So from there, uh, I just continued to race bikes and then Indiana came knocking. Uh, it was twofold. It was like education, but it was also this guy named Courtney Bishop who wanted to start an all black or he wanted to host an all black team for little 500, which had never been done. Yeah. And so he found me and little did he know I couldn't even participate because I was already a pro and that's against the rules. No kidding. Yeah. So, you know, invited out, Saw the campus, saw watched Little Five. I thought it was boring as I don't know what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, fast forwarding, once you get there and you're a part of that culture, it's not boring. It's one of the best things, best experiences I've ever had being a part of that event. And you couldn't have 
You couldn't I, race. I never it. raced. Just being part of it. Yeah, I coached yeah. Uh, part part of the team. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. What is the actual format of the race, Little Five? So the women race fifty laps, and the men race a hundred laps, um, and you have to exchange at least ten times between the four teammates. Okay. How big is a lap? Uh, that circuit is maybe like a four hundred meter cinder track. Sure. Oh and cinder's God. nasty when you crash. That is gnarly. Yeah. It's how, fun. How many people are out? Uh, teams, I think they do 32 teams, yeah. but only one rider per team. So you're talking 32 riders on the track at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a little pit with bikes and uh, your trainers on it. So people are staying warmed up. Uh-huh. But then the crowds, that's, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're yeah. talking 50,000 people. Time Magazine said it's the biggest college weekend. Holy cow. Yeah, in America. That's nuts. These fraternities that have a lot of money and sororities, they, they bring in people like 50 Cent to have concerts <laughs> for free. <laughs> That's you, unreal. Yeah, it's unreal. Like, I mean, it's insane. People come from all over the place. And then the following week is the Kentucky Derby. So yeah. it's like that little area, Indiana, Kentucky, is just like going down for the next That's couple of weeks. Freaking amazing. Uh, I think we're about to get booted out of here. That's going to be fascinating. We'll drag Might. He can't kick us out. You don't know who we are. Exactly. <laughs> Tough bike racers. Um, okay, okay. What'd you study? Uh, telecommunications. Yeah. And a minor in African American literature and diaspora studies. Nice. Right. So you segue that to a professional bicycle career. Yeah. What'd you do straight out of school? Uh, instead of taking a job at EA Sports for about $48,000, I raced my bike for 500 bucks a month. Out of boy. That's right. For McGuire Langdale. It was a small real estate company out of NorCal. I think he's still around, Charlie. Green and green and yellow? Yep, I exactly. Uh, had Eric Saunders. Uh-huh. Had uh, the Kiwi from New Zealand, uh, Jason Allen. Uh-huh. He's an Olympian on the track. Uh-huh. Yeah, and we went around the country in our little van and got some results. Yeah. And next thing you know, I was racing with otters. That was the following year, 2006. No kidding. How many yeah. years ago there? Uh, just one year. Yep. It didn't last long. Yep, yep. Botters and I didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. You <laughs> and a whole handful of people. So you can just join that club, or maybe you started that club. Um, we can't sit here? No, I have to clear everything. Okay. That's a shame. All right. Sorry. No. You guys look like you're having so much fun. We only need about 10 minutes. Can we do 10? No? Yeah, clear it out. All right. <laughs> Outside of the gate. Hey there, everybody. Quick interlude here. We have just moved from the quiet dining area to another location. Okay, back to our conversation. (laughs) All right, back to it. Uh, So in that quick intermission, $500 per month, you said you also had a child at this point. Yep, I had a child. She was like maybe six months old. What was your... Uh, actually, no. So that's 2006. No, so she would have been two and a half. Wow. Yeah, she was two and a half. No kidding. Making 500 bucks a month. <laughs> What's your family thinking? Um, I know my wife wasn't too happy. Uh-huh. Um, you know, but I always, I, I won't say I forget, but I, I, I hardly ever mention it. I had like a secret donor. I had some guy who I met in the bike industry who really wanted to see me succeed. And he went, he was, he was dead stuck on me racing in Europe. He's like, you got to get to Europe. You got to get to Europe. So he was, he was literally 
helping me survive by mm-hmm. writing a check to me with no strings attached so I can continue to race. Because, you know, living in L.A., 500 bucks a month, even if the other <laughs> half has a job, it's not enough, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I hardly ever mention that. Uh, he definitely wants to remain anonymous, but I'm forever grateful for him because it definitely kept me in the game for a few years, you know. Sure. It. I mean, I think of professional cycling, the whole sport is created off people's benevolence. Mm-hmm. If you are... Racing for a team, Ineos, Team Sky, like that is the, the what, that's the Murdoch's money. Yeah. And it's, you know, we, we were talking earlier about the thing, things that are going on in Bentonville. That is yeah. that is the Walton money. I mean, the whole sport is is because people enjoy bikes and sure. there's, there's, there's something sort of visceral about the, the fun that goes on on two wheels. So, okay, we are zeroing in on that, that uh, March 2010 date where you start the Bahati Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it, it, putting words to action is a huge step. How do you go about creating this foundation? The literal part and, and yeah. the figurative part. Um, it definitely wasn't easy, but I think one the driving force for me was that when I I neglected to tell you earlier when I when I started the Velodrome program, it was an after school program funded with all the money left over. I shouldn't say leftover, but money that was donated from the 84 Olympics. So the 84 Olympics came to L.A. They had a velodrome. Uh, The Americans did very well. Nelson Vils was the first African-American to win a medal on the track. So cycling was kind of booming, right? Mm -hmm. And they launched the AAF, the Amateur Athletic Foundation. And that money was to be put back into the L.A., for sports like cycling and rowing and running, things, untraditional sports, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got started. And a lot of the kids in the program was, you know, they were foster care kids. Um, They really didn't have a good home base. And so they enjoyed it because it was a way to get away from the hood too, right? Um, And so that was part of the reason I enjoyed going back, just to be around those people. And then when I was racing and I decided to start the foundation, I, I used to always think, dude, why am I the only one out here? Like, how is it possible with all these bike racers, there's not another black kid out here? And I almost felt a little responsibility for it because I was around all these kids mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. one point, you know, eight years before. And now all of a sudden, I'm in Belgium or France or wherever I'm at racing my bike, even locally, domestically, and there's no black kids. Mm-hmm. And I felt a little bit of responsibility for it. And that's why I said I was going to start the foundation and and we did. That is enormous. Um, I mean, you mentioned Nelson. Are you and he friends? Yeah, I heard, I heard he's around here at Cabda. I didn't get a chance to see him, but Nelly and I are are, are really good friends. I got a funny story how I met him. I I got invited to this, uh, this Nike camp at at the nike headquarters um and they said all right you're gonna be rooming with this guy named nelson i had never heard of him uh-huh. and uh so i find my room i knock on the door no one answers i beat on the door no one answers now i kick the door <laughs> he comes to the door he's got a doobie in his mouth and he's got no clothes on i'm like 16 70 years old not probably about 16 i'm like who the hell is this guy yeah. you know and Funny man, we we've been friends ever since, and we bounce ideas off each other. He's he's an ultimate hustler, always you know looking to do something good in the community, uh, get his people involved, and I'm, I'm always there to support him. So yeah, we're we're really good friends. Is he local? Where's he live? Yeah, he lives here. Okay, I mean, so how much Olympic gold medalist? 
84? Uh, like, silver. Okay. Yep. Uh, his teammate beat him. So that year, Americans went 1-2 in the sprints. Oh, dang. That's massive. Yeah, Gorski. How, how much was that? Uh, uh, how much did he become a role model as you were spending the time on the track? Or is it still just like, let's just bang around and have fun? On two wheels on well, the, you know that was boards. that was way before my time. But what I understand is that that really set him up uh, for a lot of good things. Um, he was all he was already a rock star, I would say, like in a in a hidden culture of like fixed gear riding out of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, the Olympic medal brought him to the forefront. Um, I do wish that it's kind of changing gears a little bit. Please, I do wish that he would be more celebrated and embraced by our culture, uh, specifically USA Cycling. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like he has a place within leadership there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that what he's doing now is bad, but I just, you know, the guy is, you know, 60-something years old. He, in my opinion, he shouldn't be having to hustle, and he should have a spot within our fabric of USA Cycling at some level. That's just how I feel about it. Some people may not agree with that, and it may sound like I'm talking bad about him. I, I love him like 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 a brother. So uh, I just want to see him celebrated, like other Olympians sure. have been celebrated. You know, agreed. Yeah, there's plenty of Olympians with. <laughs> to be an Olympian is is an accomplishment unto itself. To win yeah, a medal is heroic yep. and that is something yep. you carry with you i mean he life. was the he was the only black racer for the most part after nelsonville so you're talking like 100 years later yeah <laughs> that's Man. crazy you know yeah. and then i come along you know what he, so that was 80 so you're talking another 20 years later you know sure. so there's these huge gaps okay yeah we set, close it a little bit but you know so right we are we are here at the what do we call this place again Del Mar Racetrack. Del Mar Racetrack. We are outside of Cabda. The the fairly astute observation slash joke is that the room is largely full of middle-aged white men. <laughs> Welcome to cycling. And, yeah. you know, that's not entirely true. And, and there hopefully is more and more diversity. And I think the diversity is something that we would like to see. Mm-hmm. I think everyone on two wheels would like to see that. So we're not purely surrounded by a homogenous group of white dudes. Like... <laughs> How how do we you're you're taking leadership. You have created the Bahati Foundation. Mm-hmm. And that's outstanding. Um, I was just at a gravel summit where where diversity is is on the forefront of everybody's mind. We would like more female representation, we'd like more ethnicity, um, just for the sake of having a more fun crowd and more mm-hmm. backgrounds, more uh, more is better. Um, let's look in your geographic pocket. Let's look at the gravel example. Like, do you see people in, in your area riding gravel bikes? I don't. Um, well, yes, as a whole, I see people in my area riding gravel bikes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you want to pinpoint it to um, ethnicity and whatnot, I don't. And and most of it is – this is kind of hard because I don't want to speak for other people. But I, I feel like if I can say my people, uh, we're all the same people, but – uh, the demographic where I live and the people I mostly influence, they're apprehensive to try something new. And it has nothing to do with you or anyone else. It's just like, well, shit, I just got a 2018 Cervelo or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Now I got to buy another bike. So it, <laughs> it's it's um, it's it's baby steps there. But I do think once they discover it, um, it will be something that they embrace 
I did the Belgian waffle ride. I sucked at it big time. But when it was over and I was in my car driving home, I thought I would never, ever say I would do it again. I would definitely do it again, mm-hmm. you know. And I think it's just a level of exposure um, and accessibility that needs to happen. Man, I got a funny story. I took some some black guys from Belize out in the Santa Monica Mountains. This is a long time ago. Yeah. Santa Monica Mountains, they were afraid. I said, what are you guys afraid of? Mountain lion not gonna attack you. I'm like, dude, look how many homes are around here. Little mountain lions gonna attack. Yeah. Like, so it's just like when you're not used to something, it, it it can become a little challenging to get outside of your comfort zone. You know. So uh, again, like you talk about Bentonville and what they're doing out there, we need something very similar in LA that's just a little more inviting. Um, you know, like you have these companies like Giant who have these huge demo days. Like you gotta somehow get that crowd to come to your demo day to try these gravel bikes and get them on the dirt and show them it actually is fun, mm-hmm. right? It's really fun. Well, and then, I mean, there's just such a logistical hurdle as well. Like, if yeah. you're going to do a proper experience like that, like, you're going to go in uh, Santa Ana's, I mean, go way north or go out being, you know, Santa Monica Mountains. And, yeah, sometimes that's completely prohibitive if you're in Compton to get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even... I, yeah, you're 100% right. I, you, really, you pretty much took the words out of my mouth, and that's exactly what's going on. So there's like three layers that you have to approach, and I think you just got to step back and figure out which layer you're going to peel back first, which yeah. one is going to help get to that end goal. And it's not going to happen overnight. I think it's going to take the entire industry. Um, you look at what Justin Williams is doing, I think that's that's great. Um, so if Did he race under Bahati? No, he never did. He was, no he's much younger than us. Yeah, but okay. we did race together on rock racing yep. uh, for a couple years uh, when he was just a little baby sprinter. Sure. Now he's the big dog sprinter. Um, so, yeah, like if if more organizations and, and, and brands and companies can get behind things like Justin's doing or what I'm doing, I think we can incrementally start to see a change uh, that we're all hoping for. And I think we will get there. It's just it's going to take some time. What do you see – literally tangibly in the industry i mean how hard is it for you in this in this day and age when when i feel like the industry really does want to get behind diversification yeah you know is it simple or is it way easier said than done and this may hurt but i don't know if the industry is ready for it seriously i don't i i think that they think they want to get behind it, and they think maybe they do it because they, it's the right thing to do. It. What is it? Get behind yeah, the more it, representation, more... Yeah, the it is inclusion, right? Yeah. Uh, women, uh, African-Americans. This is a, a true uh, fact that the African-American cycling community is the fastest growing segment in cycling right no now. No kidding. Yeah, so like you'll see some companies kind of touch it, like yeah. maybe use a black rider in the ad, but they're not really embracing and doing what it takes to really get that demographic to be a, um, what's the words I'm looking for, to to really get that demographic to support that brand. Yeah. It's not about just here, here's a bike and here's some clothes, let's take a photo of you and put you in an ad. You really have to embrace that community. And that, black people are loyal, man. Like, they if, if it's a Cannondale, it's a Cannondale. They ain't going to yeah. ever change, right, yeah, until something yeah. bad happens. And even when something bad happens, we'll give you a second chance, you know. <laughs> That's just in our nature, right? So, um, I you know, I, I don't – I work for a company that um, talks about diversity and inclusion and stuff like that. And not to get too deep into that, but 
dude, we have a long way to go and uh-huh. we, we barely scratch the surface. And so that's when I say, I feel like, I don't know if they're truly ready for change. You know, they talk about it, but it's, it's bigger. Uh-huh. It, it takes a lot. You know what I mean? It's definitely a one drop in a bucket, one drop in an ocean. And it just feels so uh, unfathomably big. But until those drops start happening, then I think nothing changes. Uh, change is hard. Change is, you know, I, I, I say status quo is easy, which is why yeah. we're sort of stagnant in the sport. And then, But it also starts things. at the top, you know. So if we can go yeah. back to USA Cycling, you know, I, I've been on the record and I'll say it again. They need some fresh meat there. They need some fresh meat with more creative ideas, not afraid to fill, and really just shake it up, you know. This industry recycles the same people over and over again. So you don't see change until you change. Mm-hmm. And so you you take one CEO from one company and put him in the other company, it's going to be the same thing. Yep. Um, and unfortunately, that's what has to happen, in my humble opinion, is that you just have to shake it up a little bit, get some fresh meat in there, get some uh, some uh, some diversity in there. Um and because we all have different perspectives because we come from different places. So mm-hmm. we're going to I could tell you something from my point of view about a race that you probably never even thought about just because where I grew up and what I had to deal with to even get ready for that race. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So um, that's what I feel. And hopefully that happens one day. I like it. Um, I will throw out when we were at when we were in Bentonville, um, Rob Martini is the new president, CEO of USA Cycling, and he has a background, yes, CEO background, successful one. Mm-hmm. He, I think, is coming into the most uh, messed up cycling has ever been. Yeah. Um, certainly doping had its had its era, and, and, you know, the president at that time, eh, you know, doesn't seem too tarnished from it. Yeah. Across the board, USA Cycling is, is in need of some vast change mm-hmm. um i think this stands the best chance but you know time will tell he recognizes just how, how difficult the whole scenario is and he does yeah. seem sincere <laughs> it we'll sucks see. man yeah. I, I, and like someone said on, on a thread i had the other day usa cycling needs to burn down but i'm like no i don't want it to burn down like we need usa cycling and and part of the problem we see now is that People are putting on events where they don't need USA Correct. Cycling. And it's like, uh-oh, they, you didn't take care of your baby. Mm-hmm. You know, now the baby's grown and the baby's making a lot of money. And the baby's like, oh, now you want some of my money. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, yeah, it's, it's going to take, some, uh, it's gonna take some, some efforts to uh, get that back. Yeah, Nika's a great example of that. Yep. I and, mean, you know, booming Nika, 25,000 students almost Amazing. are doing it. Yeah. Um, whereas we have about 55,000 USA Cycling license holders. Yep. And that number continues to fall. Nika participation continues to increase in their their independent operations yeah um okay how about here and now with with zwift you're in schools you're getting kids on bikes are you doing this regionally nationally yeah so it was supposed to be regionally but it's so many kids that want to be on zwift believe it or not man kids love zwift yeah um and they try for the first time their eyes light up their parents may be Zwifting and they uh-huh. are, you know, curious about it. Uh, so, yeah, but I'm focused more on at-risk uh, schools and kids, uh, the demographic that can't afford a bike, yeah. that can't afford, you know, the the smart trainer and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I'm focusing on. And, and what's, the, uh, what's the literal implementation? Are you just introducing it to them? Are you allowing – are you giving schools bikes? Yeah, so right now we're in um, – you know, just like we're testing the grounds right now. Um, we're partnering with – 
uh, organizations like Outride, uh, formerly known as Specialized Foundation, um, to get into schools because they have a relationship with schools all across the country. Um, and at the end of the day, we want to have stationary bikes that broadcast power via Amplus Bluetooth and run Zwift. Also with a tie-in with STEM because that's all Zwift, yeah. that's all Zwift is 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 a STEM program, right? Mm -hmm. um, so and also let them know there's a career at the end of this. You don't have to be. We're not trying to turn you into a bike racer. Sure. This is a way for you to open your eyes to a different industry that hopefully is around for a long time. Yeah. Um, you get to implement math and science and technology, graphics. I mean, it's so many different things. It's, it's really not about the bike. It's, it's really about gaming. exposure. Yeah. Kids freaking love video games. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're, you're, everything you just hit on is what I loved about collegiate racing. Yeah. Like it's fun. It's competitive. You can either try to make it a career and the success rate there is super low, or you just, you know, have fun and go find the rest of your yep. life with your degree. Yeah. Are you, I mean, you're seeing that, uh, at a younger and younger age. I'm curious, like how many of these kids are getting into Zwift are going to basically to your point, like you can take it in any direction from racing yeah. a bike to seeing a different future to, to getting into the tech, the video gaming, the yeah. software development. So we're working with kids in height, I mean, middle school. So that's anywhere from like 11, I guess, to 13. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you have a small window. But one thing I, I talked to uh, Scott Barger, he's co-founders with, yep. we work with, uh, we work together in social impact. Is just that like, how cool would it be if like a kid rocks up one day and he's like, man, I remember when you guys came to my school when I was in the sixth grade and he's an employee at Zwift yeah. or something like that. Yeah. It's like, that's the sort of ecosystem that we want to create with the programs through social impact. It's going to happen. Yeah, I think so. It's definitely happening. How many folks are in uh, Zwift office LA? Woo! Over 200. Dang. Yeah, it's You've growing fast. Two and a half two years? Two and a half years, yeah. That's I was employee wild. number 70. That's crazy. We're so big now that... We have two offices separated by a block. <laughs> I got kicked out of the main office. They put our they put the small team in the other office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they're, they're building out a new office, and uh, we'll, we'll all be back together pretty soon. Right on. Um, well, shoot. This has been fun. Yeah, thanks for the time, man. I, I didn't, I didn't even know you had a podcast. Oh, you got to check it out. I got to check it it's out. It's the greatest. <laughs> King of the Ride podcast. King I will of the send ride, you the I like link. It. I will hook you up. Um, Rasan, thank you very much. Thank you for your time, your insight. Um, no worries. Yeah, we got we got a ways to go in this sport, but I thank you for what you're doing. Keep talking about it. Get other people involved, and it'll change. It's gonna take a village, though. Bingo. A village and, and some time, and a bucket and raindrops and <laughs> yeah. all the things. Everything. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, man.